Thank you very much, Anita. Probably a fitting song in light of what we are, or will be discussing this morning, but before we go into that, I want to mention glad to have Zach Shane with us on leave from the military. So you get a chance, talk to him afterward. Here for this week yet, I guess, from what he said. Glad to have you, Zach. Last week began a series, what I call being strong in the absolutes. Transitions do take place. We know that for some time we've been looking for an assistant pastor, and in time, you know, I will be moving off the scene someday. I'm not sure when. We'll see what the Lord does. That's not no, any time in the near future. But in the process, process of transitions, seeking to maintain that which is core, but being willing to be flexible in those items that are not core and being able to have the wisdom to distinguish the difference between the two. Transition, transitions and change reveal our hearts, our beliefs, our thinking, where we place our security. It's a young man that I've known for over 20 years, who went off to college, and as he went off to college, I saw him go with some trepidation, you know, what's going to happen to him? And along the way, he chose some good company, got involved in a church, and when he graduated from college, he went to a job, but remained strong because at the core He had Christ, and he kept Christ there. That stands stands in contrast to an older man that I know who has gone into retirement some time back and basically lives for himself, even, even though he would claim to have had a love for God, not involved in the body of Christ, And just seems to have really drifted from the Lord. What happened? A transition took place. The core, Christ, was not there. Local church in the greater Wyoming Valley, who had a pastor retired. And as a pastor retired, he had been faithful in teaching and preaching over the years. And in the transition from the pastor retiring to another pastor that went smooth, the new guy that came on the scene, heart for God, and the church seems to be doing well. Why? Because of the core. The core being in place. Transitions indicate the need for a firm Foundation, so that a church remains, individuals remain in a holy, godly path. And again, the foundation is what I call core absolutes. What's negotiable, what's not negotiable. Core absolutes, not negotiable. But the outworking of some things are negotiable. They may change. When the core is neglected, things don't go well. Israel's commitment to the Mosaic law began to crumble after Joshua died. 
Parents who divorce when the empty nest comes shows that they may have tended to neglect their own marriage when their children were at home. The Davidic kingdom after Solomon's death, you know, divided. But that division began during the reign of Solomon as he drifted from walking with God. As a nation, we don't understand how a man could be involved in our largest mass shooting because we struggle with understanding spiritual deadness and sin. The core absolute we will consider this morning is our battle is not against seen. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is not against methods. But it is against the unseen rulers, authorities of the, in the heavenly realms. It's against <clears throat> thoughts, beliefs, and thinking. So let me give you a couple of reasons why you should listen this morning. First of all, so that we don't merely pull tops off weeds, but pull roots and tops together. I don't know if you know anything about gardening. I grew up having to take care of my parents' garden and have had a garden for many years. And it's easy when you're pulling weeds, you just grab a hold and the top will come off. The root remains in the ground. And if you do not stop and dig out the root at that point in time, the top is going to grow again. And in the process, the roots are going to get bigger. Failure to pull both the top and the root means we live in ruts. Desiring to be holy, but making little progress. Whether it be discontentment or bitterness or some other struggle that individually we may have. But a second reason is so that we use the correct armor. Let's suppose ISIS is going to round up 50,000 soldiers, and they're going to attack our bombers. No, we're going to drop bombs, but they're going to attack us with foot soldiers. You say their methodology doesn't go with the type of war they're in. The same is true spiritually. If we don't understand the battle we are in, we will not use the correct armor. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, reading the passage together. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. As we think about Ephesians, keep in mind that Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 deal with being in Christ. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 deal with living out being in Christ. And in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, you know, that we're to live worthy of the calling that we have received. Also, the book of Ephesians is addressed to the believers in Ephesus. Paul spent almost three years in Ephesus. When he came to Ephesus, he found some people that had been baptized by John's baptism. They had not received the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Spirit of God came on them. And they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Then Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue for three months. He argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. And then he got kicked out of the synagogue. He left there, so he spent 
some two years in a lecture hall, reasoning, pointing to people. And that also would have driven out some evil spirits, and we know that a riot took place and so on. All in the background of the letter to the believers in Ephesus. He says in verse 10 of chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you're able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The point of the passage, and I realize I'm making an application to our church, Roaring Brook is in a spiritual battle. Therefore, we must use the weapons the Lord provides. As you look down through church history, Paul says to the believers in Ephesus, you're in a spiritual battle. You need weapons accordingly. And that has not changed today. In this passage, we find the source of strength is in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The method of strength in verse 11 is to put on the armor. That is the armor of God. The nature of the battle is listed in verses 12 and 13. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and so on. And then in the nature of the armor in verses 14 through 18. As we look at this passage this morning and probably next week and then move on to another topic, I want to emphasize that I will stick to the book of Ephesians. We could look at cross-references, but Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. All they had was the letter that was written to them. So the letter, the passage here must be interpreted within Ephesians as a book. Again, there are parallel passages, but we'll focus primarily on the book of Ephesians. And some of what I shared this morning as well as next week, you might say, I'm not sure I quite follow you, Pastor. And part of that may be to the fact that I will make some individual applications, but I will also be making church-level applications. 
And we tend to see Ephesians 6 as directed to the individual. I think that is applicable, yes. But he's writing to a church, and he's saying to a church, you're in a battle collectively. So I will make individual applications, but also church-level applications. But we might at times struggle with the church-level applications because we don't always see Scripture in that light. And please understand also that down through the ages, the body of Christ has experienced much conflict. It's not new. It was true in Ephesus. You look at the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, they went through difficulty. They were in spiritual conflict. In in our own area, the greater Wyoming Valley, in the back mountain area, we've had numerous splits. We've had new churches. We've had church fights. And some of them did not end well because we don't see the enemy. We don't see the nature of of the battle, as we see the nature of the battle, as we go through life, makes a difference in how we respond. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord. What is the source of our strength? Our source of strength is the Lord. Who is the Lord? Ephesians 1 says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is the one who gives grace and peace. In chapter 1, we find also the Lord is the one who has blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know, he's God and Father. In chapter 1 and verse 17, we find he's the glorious Father. In chapter 4 and verse 6, we find he's God and Father. Paul says, be strong. In the Lord. The Lord gives grace. The Lord gives peace. He's a Father. He has blessed us. He's a glorious Father. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Look at chapter 1 and verse 19. Anita sang earlier about, you know, we come to the end of our strength. Hopefully that comes quickly so that we turn to the Lord quickly. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Chapter 1, Paul, in the middle of verse 19, Paul is praying for the saints that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened. For what purpose? That they might understand the power, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power that is like the working of his mighty strength, we exert which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. The ruler, authority, power and dominion, he's talking about the spirit world. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. The power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that is over the spirit world. And then verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The power that made Christ 
head of the church. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. In chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, we find God displays his power. His mighty power in what way? Particularly verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Those who are dead in sin, separated from God, raised together with Christ, seated together with Christ in the heavenly realms. That takes power. In chapter 3, 16 through 19, we find that God displays his power in that he talks about through the Spirit. We can grasp the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of God's love. Then in chapter 3, 19 and 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And if you read on in the context, he says, be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another. The power that is available through Christ is not for what we consider the great big things in life. It's the routine of life, a family, when you and your kids or you and your parents or you and your mate or extended family are having some relational difficulty and you choose to say, I can be humble, I can be patient. He says, this is the power that you need. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The source of our strength as believers, is in Christ, as members of his body. Paul goes on then in verse 11 to talk about the method of strength. What are we to do? He says, put on the full armor of God. He says to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. And remember in Ephesus, a riot had taken place, and that was tied in with false worship. And Paul says to them, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God after describing the nature of the battle. Obviously for the Ephesians, the body of believers there, for us today it involves a choice. And it seems to be choices that deal with the mind primarily. Why? Why? Why put on the armor? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's talking about a battle. Put on the armor so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It involves effort. Take your stand. Can't be passive. He says, Take your stand against the devil's schemes. And as you look at the flow of Scripture, and you look at the situation in Ephesus, and you look at the book of Ephesians, the devil's primary scheme 
is doubt. The devil's primary scheme is doubt. Doubt of God. Doubt of God's word. Doubt of God's plan. Doubt of God's design. Doubt that you are in a spiritual battle. Rather, you're battling the scene. Just doubt. So you go through a difficulty in life. And you think, do I really have to rejoice in my difficulties? See, the very nature of the question implies doubt. Do I really have to rejoice in my difficulties? God says, yes, we're to rejoice. See, doubt is being introduced. An unseen enemy. A church goes through difficulty financially. They're not making it financially. And they begin to wonder, you know... Let's blame these couple people. They're not giving the way they used to. I bet that's what's going on. See, doubt has been introduced. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, we look for an assistant pastor as a church. And we bring someone in and we talk to him and we say, boy, he has a magnetic personality. He really seemed friendly. He has good education. Seems to have a lot of ideas. Let's bring him on board. And you stop there. Have you stopped to consider that you have just, or we have just played into the enemy's camp? You say, how? Paul says, character, qualification is very critical. The other things are good, but character qualification is critical. We may look for an assistant pastor and we say, ah, oh, this guy has great abilities. He has some ability in working with young people and he has some ability with music and he has some ideas just concerning the church overall. That may be good, but beware. What does God say about those areas, first and foremost? The enemy introduces doubt. And that comes with some other things, but we'll recognize that we are in a battle. Doubt of God's plan and will. And then Paul goes on to say and discuss the nature of the battle. He says, it's not against flesh and blood. The nature of the battle, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. You look at the flow of Ephesians, Paul would say, your battle is not against unbelievers. They're mentioned earlier. Your battle is not against believers in Christ. They're mentioned earlier in Ephesians. Your battle is not against your mate. Your battle is not against your parent. Your battle is not against your children. Your battle is not against your 
master or employer. Your battle is not against your slaves or your employees. It's not against flesh and blood. We are constantly being told our battle is against people. Why don't you change your job? You don't get along with people there. We need new political leaders because these political leaders are not doing very well. Get a different teacher because this teacher's no good. If my, if my family responded differently, I would respond differently. Find a new whatever. The world bombards us. The enemy bombards us with the thinking that our battle is against people. If you've ever had a marital dispute, I think everyone that's married has had at least one. Am I safe in saying that? If your parents or children, have you ever had a dispute with your children or with your parents? Probably at least one. Have you ever had an extended difficult battle or extended with extended family? Maybe one along the way or plus. Do we step back and say, this is not against family. My battle is against the unseen. So when a local church is going through a difficulty and they have a church meeting and believer A criticizes believer B and believer B gets up and criticizes believer C and believer C gets up and it becomes a fracas. What are they doing? Fighting people. Paul says your battle is not against flesh and blood. So the one argument that Ruth Ann and I have had in our 45 plus years of marriage, liar. <laughs> What's going on? The enemy wants me to attack her and wants her to attack me. No, it's not her, it's not me. We choose to respond, we should put on the armor. But there's a dynamic beyond that going on. And Paul says, your battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're dealing with unseen forces Ephesians 1 mentions them. Ephesians 2 talks about the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in those who are still disobedient. We're dealing with a war of thinking, beliefs, and ideas. And I'm not going to try to describe the various terms that Paul uses. He says, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this historic world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm not going to take each of those terms and say, here's exactly how it plugs in. But I will say this much. They imply power. They imply authority. They imply resources far beyond us. And they imply organization. All in the spirit realm. 
in the spirit realm where battles take place, there is power, there is authority, there are resources, there is organization. That all comes from the terms that are being used. And we're dealing with dark, evil forces because we're dealing with an unseen battle. The battle of ideas, the battle of thinking against forces who have that power and resources beyond us. But look at chapter 2 and verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Go over to chapter 4 and verse 17. Chapter 4 and verse 17. So I tell you this and insist in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Don't live as the Gentiles do, and he describes them. In chapter 5, in verse 3, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because they are improper for God's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Those items stand in contrast to that which is light, that which is, stands in contrast to that which is holy. Paul says, our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now think back about biblical history. Go back to the Garden of Eden. We know the serpent came to Eve and he spoke to Eve. And he introduced doubt. Did God really Doubt was introduced. We know that Adam and Eve yielded to the temptation of Satan. And sometime later, Cain and Abel came along, and apparently Cain had a doubt. What type of worship does God want? And God confronted Cain, and he chose to resist. But again, doubt. We go to the job and we have a conflict on the job. And we think, well, if we could just get rid of things around here would change. I'm not debating whether they would or not, but that person's not the real enemy. So you'll begin to think, I don't have to be kind because they're not kind. I don't have to be gentle because they're not gentle. No, I can lash out because they're lashing out. Doubt. 
is introduced. The same thing happens in the context of local churches where doubt is introduced and it results in conflict and difficulty. So a local church in the greater Wyoming Valley has had a pastor resign because there had been all kinds of conflict. And he said, I just can't take any more. He left the church divided. There was bickering, there was quarreling, there was some pretty unkind words said. But they did not step back and say, we're in a battle beyond us. We're dealing with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're dealing with powers and authorities of this dark world. If they had, there would have been different response. We can't see the spirit world and we don't necessarily need to see the spirit world. But as you look at history, there's a battle raging in the spirit realm. Paul acknowledges that as he discusses the nature of the battle. So he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Next week we'll look at the armor that we're to put on because of the battle that we're in and what that armor looks like individually as families but also as a local church. Do we recognize and live in light of the fact that we're in a battle? But in that battle, all the resources have been provided in Christ, as we'll find next week. Let's sing together. And then after we sing together, I'll have some closing comments. Travis?